This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers Podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And we want 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to be your favorite place to go to enjoy a great mix of vintage detective shows from the golden age of radio. The scripts were great, the action was hot, and even the old commercials are enjoyable. And now, another episode of 1001 Radio Crime Solvers is ready to go. Enjoy! The hair-raising adventures of Sam Spade, detective. Brought to you by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. It's me, Effie. Oh, Sam, I've been worried about you. Sid Weiss was just on the phone, and he says digging up a corpse without a permit is against the law. It's all right, Effie. I just dug him up to say hello and put him back again. Oh, Sam. I'll be down in a couple of minutes to dictate my report, sweetheart. If I get lost on the way, you'll find me in City Hospital, the psycho ward, third straitjacket from the left. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented each week by Wild Root Cream Oil, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that will put your hair back in place again, grooming it neatly, naturally, the way you want it. Fellows, if a girl can spend half an hour under a hot dryer in a beauty parlor to look her best for you, certainly you can spend half a minute sprucing up with Wild Root Cream Oil hair tonic to look your best for her. That's all it takes, and Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, the way girls like to see it. Besides, it relieves dryness and removes loose dandruff. There's not a drop of alcohol in Wild Root Cream Oil. It contains lanolin. So get the big economy-sized bottle at your drug or toilet goods counter. And now, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Date, August 2nd, 1946. To Mrs. Gregory Denov. Subject... Death of Dr. Denov. I was sitting in my office with nothing to think about except a horse named Corkscrew Jr. 
My secretary, Effie Perrine, came in and said there was someone outside. I didn't look up from the dope sheet, so she said it again. Someone outside, Sam. What's he look like? Um, blue double-breasted custom-made suit, kind of tie, hand-tailored shirt, English shoes, hand-trimmed Van Dyke. Get me a blank check and send them in. Okay, Sam. Please come in. Mr. Spade will see you now, sir. Thank you. You are Mr. Spade, Sam Spade. What can I do for you? I'm Dr. Gregory Denov, a psychoanalyst. I, I need your help. Lie down, doctor, and tell me all about it. <laughs> I... I see you might also be noted for your sense of humor as well as your discretion. Who told you I was discreet? A man named Nicolaitis. Well, you tell Nicolaitis, I think he's cute too. What else does he say about me? That I can trust you with $10,000. Oh. Is this Mr. Nicolaitis one of your patients? No. No, he isn't. As a matter of fact, he... He's gotten possession of some private records of mine... Well, it, it's rather involved. Nicolaitis is shaking you down, and he picked me as the middleman. Is that it? This is not an ordinary case of blackmail. Blackmail is blackmail, even if you do it in technicolor. Well, as you may know, a psychoanalyst keeps a faithful transcript, a detailed record of everything a patient says during consultation, no matter how intimate or shocking. Yeah. This man, Nicolaitis, has managed to gain possession of a copy of one of these case histories. The patient is a very celebrated person, and should this material be divulged, it may have very serious consequences for both my patient and and for me. Doctor, your best bet's the San Francisco Police Department. No, no, that's out of the question. Then I'm afraid I can't help you. Why not? Nicolaitis said I'm that I'm a private you're... detective. When I take on a client, I take on his troubles. My job is to protect him, not to stand by and see him milked. You want to hire me on that basis, I'll listen. Oh, I'm, I'm so tired. I must trust somebody. What can you do for me, Mr. Spade? Write me out a check for $1,000. Got a pen? Yeah. All right. You see, Nicolaitis figures that if I'm getting a cut, I'll have to keep my mouth shut. I'll spend it all the same. Here you are. Thanks. Now, uh, what was the last thing Nicolaitis told you? That he would pick up the $10,000 here and deliver to you this file in question. Can you reach him? Yes. Call him. Tell him you've seen me. Tell him I won't do that kind of business in my office. Tell him to come to your house. I'll be there. What if he refuses? He won't. Tell him I have the whole 10000 What time? How about in an hour? No, no, I'm sorry. We'll have to make it around three or... Oh, goodness, I'm late now. I, I really... That's a beautiful watch, Mr. Denham. Yes. Foreign? Uh, yes. May I see it? My watch? Why, really, Mr. Spade, I'm very late. I have so many things to do, and I have to be at the Majestic Theater well before the matinee starts at 2.30. Oh, are you going to see me at 3 o'clock if you're going to the theater? Oh, I'm not going to stay for the performance. Well, Mr. Spade, till 3 o'clock then. Oh, my office is in my apartment. The address is here on my card. It's the penthouse. Penthouse, huh? Okay, doctor, I'll come formal. I'll wear the top to my bathing suit. I left my office around 2.30 and started walking up Knob Hill. The Versailles Apartments, where Denov's place was, took up the whole 300 block, so I didn't have any trouble finding it. I stopped across the street for a minute to get my breath after the uphill climb, mopped my face, and started across. Just as I got to the middle of the street... The crowd was packed in so close around, I couldn't see who'd done the Brody, but I had a pretty good idea. The cops had the sidewalk roped off and guards posted at the building entrance. It took me maybe 20 minutes to elbow my way through and show my credentials. Sergeant Levine had the front door, so they let me in. 
Lieutenant Dundee of Homicide met me at the door of the penthouse. Hiya, Sam. What do you want? I want to see Dr. Denov. The doctor's dead. Dead? Yeah. He's my client. They can't do this to me. How? Did a Brody out the window? What do you have for? To see his wife. Okay with you? Why not? She's inside. Thanks. Mrs. Danoff, please. With all due respect for your grief, I must have the keys to the cabinet where Gregory kept his confidential files. You realize that he wished me to take charge of his patients and that I am responsible. All this police and so on. We must get those files out of here as soon as possible. <clears throat> yes? My name is Spade. I am Dr. Zoya. I was poor Dr. Denoff's oldest friend. If there's anything I... I'd like to see you, Mrs. Denoff, alone. But you police have already asked her so many questions. You see, she's not in the... I'm not with the police. I'm a private detective. I was working for Dr. Denoff. A private detective? He was in trouble, you see. You see, Dr. Sawyer, the police won't believe me. Mm. Mr. Spade, you'll tell them. You'll tell them he didn't commit suicide. Well, Mrs. Denov, I guess that takes care of everything here. It's clearly suicide. Oh, idiot, blind, stupid idiot. Suicide. Mm. My husband, he treated suicides. He would never... No, please, it will be all right, my dear. I'm sorry. She's hysterical. Yeah. If I had the time, I would... Tell them, tell them. Please, Mrs. Denov. The undertaker has been arranged for a burial at 7 o'clock, Beit Israel Cemetery. Now, please, the key to Gregory's files. Here, take it and go. Go ahead, all of you. Okay, we'll no, call you later. No, mistake. I'm so sorry, gentlemen. This hysteria, a simple traumatic condition. If I only had the time. Who can I turn to? Who will help me? You think it's pleasant? You think my husband would rest if they said I committed suicide? What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do? Oh, oh you... Dr. Zoya didn't have the time, neither have I. You think it's murder? Who do you think killed your husband? To name someone? That's a very serious charge, Mr. Speed. Goodbye, Mrs. Denov. Constance Brent. You mean Constance Brent, the actress? Yes. She was his last patient this morning. She had threatened to kill him before. How do you know? My husband said so. To you? Well, he, he'd written it down on his notes on her case. Once before, she'd almost pushed him from that same window. How about your husband and Miss Brent? Oh, I knew she was falling in love with my husband. That always happens. They, they call it a transference. But in this your case... Your husband told me Miss Brent was acting in a play this afternoon over at the Majestic. Yes, Midsummer Night's Dream. But she was here. I know she was here. Miss Ray, the receptionist, was coming back from lunch when she heard voices arguing inside. And she was sure it was Miss Brent's voice. Show me the doctor's case history on Miss Brent. I can't. It's missing. As soon as it happened, I went to the files. I meant to show it to the police. Who could have taken it? Constance Brent was the last one in that room before he died. Yeah. When did you see Nicolaitis last? Nick who? Skip it. Uh, where can I reach you in case... For the next couple of hours, I'll be at the Majestic Theater. I want to see how good an actress this Constance Brent is.
Yes? Miss Constance Brent's dressing room? What do you want? I want to talk to Miss Brent. Well, you can talk to me. I'm her husband. So you're Mr. Brent. I'm Jonathan Wallace. She's Mrs. Wallace. Now, what do you want with my wife? I've come to tell her that Dr. Denhoff is dead. Uh, are you sure? You try falling from a 12th floor window sometime. Well, that's the best news I've heard this year. I'm afraid it would be a shock for Constance. Maybe, maybe not. She was the last person to see him alive, as far as anybody can make out. Uh, are you from the police? No, uh, I'm from the insurance company. Claims investigator. What do you want to see Constance for? The policy wasn't made out to her, was it? No, made out to his widow. But she can't collect. Police say it was suicide. <gasps> that settles it. This is the last time I play Titania. Stand around while Puck talks his head off. Who is this person? Darling, I'm afraid this is going to be a shock. This man is from an insurance company. Dr. Denov is dead. Oh, what a pity. What happened? The police say he jumped. His wife says he was pushed. She also says that you, Miss Brent, might have been the pusher. Oh, now, really, it's too absurd. How like a wife. What time did your play start this afternoon, Miss Brent? Matinee at 2.30, always. Always. And the late lamented Dr. Denov jumped at 3 o'clock. I didn't say he did. Doesn't this news, uh, shock you? But of course. Do you think good psychoanalysts are easy to find? Looks like your next doctor will have to start from scratch. Your case history seems to be missing from Dr. Denob's files. Missing? No. Where is it? Has a man named Nicolaitis been in touch with you? I've never heard of him. Chances are you will. Does he have Dr. Denob's notes on my case? Could be. <gasps> this is frightful. Hot reading, huh? You seem to know this person, Nicolaitis. Get that file for me and I'll pay you well for it. Just a minute, my lovely Titania. We... We don't know who this man really is. He might even be Nicolaitis himself. Let me see your company credentials. Now, what do you know? Somebody picked my pocket. My wallet's gone. I thought so. All right, you tell me who you are. I'll call the police. Oh, no, no, Jonathan. No police. Let's get off the merry-go-round. My name is Spade. You'll find me in the phone book under S. My office is open until 6 o'clock. And if a man answers, don't hang up. It'll be me. <laughs> found a Nicolaitis yet? Not one. I even tried spelling it backwards. <sighs> Nobody ever heard of a man named Nicolaitis. I'm beginning to think there ain't no such person. Pardon me. Uh, do I hear my name mentioned? I'm Nicolaitis. Sam, I still think you're right. Come all the way in, Mr. Nicolaitis. Sit down. Oh, thank you. If you need me, Sam, just scream. What can I do for you? Oh, I've come for my money. What money? Well, the $10,000, you remember the $10,000? Refresh my memory. Oh, Dr. Denhoff, the gentleman who visited you this morning? Oh, uh, that $10,000. Oh, you see, you see, you remember now. Yeah, yeah, it all comes back to me now. Uh, you were supposed to deliver something for the money. Since Dr. Denhoff is dead, that is no longer important. You will give me the money, please, and I will not disturb your afternoon any further. Suppose I refuse. Oh, that would grieve me. In my grief, there is no telling what I might do. Dr. Denhoff's dead. There's nothing more you can do to hurt him. Oh, never would I attempt to hurt poor Dr. Denhoff. But in my sorrow, it would be so great if I should be forced to hurt the woman he lost. After all, as Titania says, 
These are the forgeries of jealousy. Sonia, huh? Ah, yes, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, Act 1, Scene 18. <laughs> I'm a little rusty on my Shakespeare. Oh, you are indeed, Mr. Spade. Titania doesn't appear until well into Act 2. She doesn't, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. I guess she isn't on for 40 minutes or so. Yes, indeed, Mr. Spade, but I didn't come here to discuss drama. What else have you got to discuss? When Dr. Dunhoff died, your market died with him. That is a very unprogressive view, Mr. Spade. There's always a gentleman named Jonathan Wallace. Why, you fiend. You don't mean you'd sell to both of us. Mr. Spade, how can you have such a low opinion of me? I will prove my integrity. I will give you the material. You give me the money. Hand it over. In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. He who goes too close to the bear soon loses his beard. I have left my beard at home. Okay, I'll meet you anywhere you say, anytime you say. Excellent. At seven in your apartment? Hmm? Won't that be walking into the bear's cave? In the Levant, Mr. Spade, we have a saying. Private dicks do not kill people in their own apartment. <laughs> Then 6 p.m. I called Effie for messages. She told me that you had been phoning frantically, Mrs. Denov. I still had maybe 30 minutes before Nicolaitis was due at my apartment, so I breezed on up to your place on the hill. We had a very interesting chat, uh, remember, Mrs. Denov? Looking back on it, that was probably the most interesting conversation we had. Funny, I can't remember much of anything you said, but it was so uh, cozy there in your place. And what with your clock being about 20 minutes slow, it must have been something like half past seven before I left you. I grabbed a cab and told the hacky to step on it. I hoped Nicolaitis was still waiting at my apartment. He was. Mr. Nicolaitis, I'm sorry to be late. was lying on my bathroom floor. The little guy was looking just about as natty as when he'd been in my office, except that the beautiful silk scarf he'd been wearing was twisted into a tight noose around his neck. Mr. Nicolaitis was a very dead blackmailer. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the fourth in a new series of programs bringing to the air for the first time... The Adventures of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. Men at the racetrack, the man who has something better than a mere hunch is said to have it straight from the horse. Of course, that's a humorous expression. But it shows how to get facts, go straight to the real source of information. And that's why we went straight to hundreds of men in metropolitan New York to find out what men really want in a hair tonic. And their answers show that Wild Root Cream Oil has all five advantages chosen by this impartial consumer jury of men. One, Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, never leaves it sticky or greasy. Two, Wild Root Cream Oil relieves annoying dryness. Three, it removes loose dandruff. Four, it's non-alcoholic. 
And five, it contains soothing lanolin. Remember, no other leading hair tonic gives you all five of these important advantages. Is it any wonder that four out of five users in a nationwide test preferred wild root cream oil to all other hair tonics they'd tried? So next time you visit your barber, ask for wild root cream oil and get the big economy-sized bottle of wild root cream oil at your drug or toilet goods counter. And now back to Sam and Psyche. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. His eyes were open and he seemed to be looking right at me as I bent over him. The finger marks in his throat were too blotchy to be of any use. Pretty soon, Lieutenant Dundee and Sergeant Polehouse came in and walked over behind me. We all stood there for a second and then Polehouse bent down and closed those eyes. You know him, Sam? His name is Nicolaitis. That's all I know about him. What did he come here to your place for? I don't know. You invited him? I wouldn't have been surprised to find him here, but not like this. You boys get a smear on him yet? Sure, he's an old customer of mine. Runs a photo lab, photostats, microfilm. Microfilm. Nobody makes any sense. They're all screwballs, psychos, neurotics. What am I doing in the middle of this anyway? Sam, don't scream at us. We're just doing a job. Oh, I'm sorry, boys. This Dr. Denov is my client. Mental and I was... expert. That Denov probably had a screw loose somewhere and needed a psychoanalyst himself. Say, maybe he was... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, Dundee. Hmm? I'm going out of here now. Do I call Sid Weiss and we go through all that again, or are you going to let me walk? Why, Sam, you can go. I know where you sleep. I'll wake you when I'm ready for you. Well, Mr. Spade? I want some answers, Dr. Zoya, and you're the guy who can give them to me. I'm listening. Just let the questions flow into your mind and do not try to repress any of them. Speak instantly, whatever... Okay, question number one, without thinking. Do you think Dr. Denhoff was a suicide? Well, I had not seen Dr. Denhoff for many years. He had been my student in Vienna. I was his analyst, in fact. That's all very interesting, Doctor, but my question... Yes, yes. Uh, did poor Dr. Denhoff commit suicide? I have reviewed all the material, manifest and hypothetical, and I came to the conclusion, no, no, it was quite impossible. You see, these paranoid... Okay, question number two. Was uh, Dr. Denhoff in love with Constance Brent? I suppose I can now answer that question. When I arrived in San Francisco, I found him in great distress. He told me he feared he was losing his objectivity... Towards this patient. In other words, he was in love with her? Yes. You think she might have murdered him? All psychoanalytical subjects develop aggressive feelings toward the doctor. <laughs> Nearly all of my patients have threatened me at one time or another. You don't say. Uh, tell me, Dr. Zoe, you know anything about Jonathan Wallace, Miss Brent's husband? A violent type, almost psychotic. Yeah? How about you, uh... Dr. Zoya, could you have done it? That is a most interesting question, Mr. Spade. When I arrived here from Vienna without funds, dependent on the kindness of my former students, I must confess that I felt a certain antagonism. It disturbed me to realize 
that a man of my standing in the profession should have be dependent on the goodwill of a younger and, uh, I sincerely believe, less gifted man. However, I overcame this, and I didn't kill him. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Doctor, thanks a lot. Oh, peep, peep. Uh, truly a life study. There is no accounting. <laughs> For instance, Dr. Denoff. He came to me only this afternoon with the strangest request. Yeah? He gave me the gold watch. The gold watch which I had presented to him many years ago upon his graduation in Vienna. He had a patient waiting and so had not much time to explain. Where is this watch? Please, I'm coming to that. He asked me to promise that I would have the watch buried with him if something should happen. That? has been done. But Dr. Denhoff just died at three o'clock. It is a mosaic law that the deceased be buried before sundown. Uh-huh. Thanks, Doctor. Thanks a lot. Hmm. I hope I've been of some help. Doctor, you'll never know how much you've helped me. Oh, what's happened? I think I got the answers, Mrs. Denhoff. That file on Constance Brent. Your husband knew that you'd been going through it. Oh, Mr. Spade. Shut I... up and listen to me. He took it out of the files, had it microfilmed for his own private records, and destroyed the original. Really? The man who did the microfilming was Nicolaitis. He delivered one print to your husband and kept another for himself. He was murdered in my apartment for the copy he used to shake down your husband. The killer now has that copy, if it hasn't already been destroyed. But we can still put our hands on the first strip of microfilm which you delivered to your husband. This is astonishing. How? It's in the gold watch which was buried with him. Oh, the the watch that Dr. Zoya... That's right. Denov made up his mind that whatever he knew about Constance Brent was going to go to the grave with him. What are you doing tonight? Well, nothing. And we got a date, sweetheart, you and I. I'll be back toward the wee hours. All paths lead to the grave. Ophelia, Act 6. Gregory's grave? But shouldn't we get a court order and have it done properly? The courts don't open until 10 in the morning, sweetheart. And Lieutenant Dundee's going to start asking me some questions about that stiff in my apartment before then. You see, baby, I can't wait. We shouldn't be doing this. I'm wrong this time. It won't be wasted effort. I'll crawl into the grave myself and pull it in after. Here. I struck it. Give me that crowbar, Mrs. Denhoff, quick. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Put that flashlight in, sweetheart. You look the other way. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Look. What, Mr. Speed? What have you got? The watch. Here, put the flash on it while I open Uh, it. Here's my nail file. Pry off the back. Thanks, that does it. Here's, here's, here's the film. All right, Mr. Spade. Give me that film. Who wasn't the second gravedigger from Hamlet, Mr. Constance Brent? Stop clowning and hand it up to me. You better do as he says, Mr. Spade. We've both got guns. I was expecting that. Took you a long time to get here, Mr. Wallace. How did dear Constance make out as Lady Macbeth? Just give me that film. Stop being an idiot, Wallace. The cemetery is crawling with cops. Put that gun away before you drop it and break your foot. Come up out of that grave, Spade, or you'll stay there forever. Okay, Dundee. Oh. 
Get those hands up, everybody. Go ahead, Dundee. Make the pinch. Okay. Sam Spade, I arrest you for body snatching violation of graves under the civil code number... No, you fool. You're supposed to arrest Mrs. Gregory Denov and Jonathan Wallace for the murder of Gregory Denov and Pericles Nicolaitis. But I... Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you don't. I... smart of you, Mrs. Denov, to make me late for my appointment with Nicolaitis. You did that so that Wallace could nail him in my apartment for the microfilm. You thought you could use that film to pin Denov's murder on Constance Brent. But after your late husband caught you tampering with his files, he added a few well-chosen words to it so that the film put the finger on you and your boyfriend, Mr. Wallace, in case anything happened to the doctor. So Wallace had to kill Nicolaitis. You weren't smart to push your husband out the window. That looked like suicide. You might have gotten away with it, Mrs. Denhoff, if you'd bashed your husband's head in with a bottle. Uh, that reminds me, Effie, pour me a drink. That all? Sign it, put a special delivery on it, and send it care of the matron to Hatchapi Prison. Go on, have one yourself. Oh, thank you. Here's how. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get used to it. <laughs> Good night, Sam. <laughs> Good night, sweetheart. Wild Root Cream Oil presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective produced and directed by William Spear. Men, on these warm August days, the sun beats down on your hair, may leave it looking dry and brittle. That's why, now especially, you need Wild Root Cream Oil. This grand non-alcoholic hair tonic has just what it takes for summer grooming. It contains lanolin, the soothing oil that's so much like the oil of your skin. Wild Root Cream Oil keeps your hair neatly in place, gives it the handsome, successful look that helps you get ahead on the job. And Wild Root Cream Oil removes loose, ugly dandruff and actually relieves annoying dryness. So tonight, take the famous FN test. Check your scalp. Signs of dryness or loose dandruff tell you you need Wild Root Cream Oil right away. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Fred Essler was Dr. Zoya. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Don't forget, next Friday, the three masters of the art of hair-raising, Dashiell Hammett, William Spear, and Wild Root Cream Oil, join forces to bring you another hair-raising adventure with Sam Spade. Smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil, too, for quick, good grooming and to relieve dryness between permanents. Mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. Dick Joy speaking. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
Talk to your local agent today. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Effie? Effie. F. Oh. I waited. Say what you have to say and I'll go. You've been through a tough time, sweetheart. Well, you didn't make it any easier. You think it was a cakewalk for me? You think my nerves are made of rubber? You have no nerves. You're just a cold, callous Shut old up. detective. You're going to listen to me. You're going to sit still, not talk, and listen. I when can't... I finished, you can say goodnight or goodbye. But first, you're going to listen to me. Remember how it started? Yesterday evening when you told me it was your mother's birthday, you were giving a party, you said, and you wanted me to come? I tried to beg off, being no social butterfly, but Mom would be hurt, you said. And so the next thing I knew, there I was at your house, surrounded by two dozen strangers, ten gallons of lemonade, and your mother. I've been wanting to have a talk with you, Mr. Spade, about Effie. I can't think of a nicer subject, Mrs. Perrine. Yeah. Effie is just so devoted to you, Mr. Spade. Yeah, well, uh... I, uh, Mother. I'm very devoted to Effie, too, Mother. Mrs. Crane. What I mean is... Mother, I... I think we should do something. Party's dying on a feet. Oh, you want me to spike the lemonade, Effie? It just so happens that I have here in my pocket a bottle of... Uh... I have a wonderful idea. It'll make the party one big, happy family. You just wait and see now. Quiet! Quiet, everybody! What's she up to? You got a game, probably. Mother's great on game. Oh, that's all I need. Your attention, please! Oh, oh, excuse me, Effie. There's bread going now. Miss Brent? Oh, Miss Brent? Yeah, Mr. Green. Won't you join the party? I'd love to, but I have an appointment. Oh, what a shame. Oh, do stay. Thank you. Some other time. Oh, Lola's so nice. She rents the sitting room upstairs. I wish she could have stayed. Well, but I- I'll explain the game now. Oh, Mrs. Green, I think I'll stay after all. Oh, how nice. Oh, you brought a gentleman friend. Yeah, yeah, he's... This is Marty. Mikey? Oh, but Mikey, I'd like to... Lola sat down and crossed her legs at me. On her left knee, where I would have preferred to see a dimple, I saw a tattoo mark. Her gentleman friend Marty was a small, stocky guy, all teeth, and New York tie. He uh, shook hands all around, and it felt like the paw of a stale stiff. This is Mr. Spade. He's a private detective at the Wicks, boy. Lola's from Kansas City, Mr. Spade. Oh? She's waiting for her husband to return from service overseas. I'm glad he's coming home safely. Where's he stationed? Uh, Japan. Yeah, he's... Now, quiet, everybody, quiet. We're going to play charades. Oh, very simple. Now, you see, I'm the captain of Team A. Now, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Burson, oh, he's so clever. He can be captain of Team D. Now, dears, quiet, everybody. Now, we'll both select the members of our team, and then, um, 
each of you will uh, write something on a slip of paper. Uh, we'll write a quotation or a phrase, you know, the title of a song, whatever you like. Just letters, just something interesting and clever. Then I think, yes, yes, I think that's right. You act out what you've written all in pantomime. No words can be used, although sounds are permissible. Dears, you must listen to me or we can't play the game. Now, you can't play unless you know how. And then your team must get what is written on the paper, and you act it out. Any questions? How many words can we put? Oh, any amount of words. Oh, no, not not over ten, though. Too long, yes. Now, everybody Teams were chosen. I wound up on now, Mrs. Perrine's Team A. The slips of paper were handed out to the guests. I wrote down, quote, the raven nevermore. So I'd have to make like a raven. While everybody was getting settled, uh, Lola Brent came up to me. She pushed a slip of paper into my hand. This is your charade, Mr. Spade. Oh, but I got Isn't this one. fun? Please, don't lose the charade I gave you. And with that, she lost herself in the crowd. I pushed the paper she handed me into my pocket without looking at it. Her gentleman friend, Marty, the little character with a New York tie, was out in the center of the floor acting his charade. He flapped his arms up and down, quacked twice, and rolled over on his back. Nobody got it, so he did it again. We'll go on to the... Oh! Sam! Sam, he's dead! And he certainly was. A deader duck I'd never seen. I bent to him and his lips were turning blue. Somebody had spiked his last drink with a jigger of poison. One hour later, Dundee and the homicide boys, including the medic, had taken a sip downtown. No one could identify him. Lola Brent had brought him to the party, but she'd taken a powder. You and Mom were kind of shaky, so I decided to spend the night on the sofa in the living room. I only used up about three hours of it when I heard the front door open. I figured it was Lola. I got to my feet, crossed to the hall, and found myself staring into the biggest forty-five I ever saw. Where's the duck? Who? He wants to know who, Poby. Look, we don't want no trouble. You're protecting this duke. Okay. All we want is the duck. Try Walt Disney. Oh. I should have known they had no sense of humor. The butt of the gun caught me behind the left ear. That's where it usually catches me. I don't know how much more sleep I packed away until I felt you shaking me. Sam! Sam! Huh? What, Effie? They took Mom. Those gunmen, they took Mom. What happened? They came into our bedroom. Yeah? They hit me. What? Right here. Yeah? And then they grabbed Mama. They wanted the duck. Huh? Sam, what were they saying? They took Mom out with them. I'll call the police. Effie, no, no. But they've got Mom. Oh, for heaven's sake, Sam, they took my mother with them. No, no, we can't call the police, Effie, not yet. They they want something. They want the duck. I think Mom has it. She's safe for a while, but if we call the police... Oh, Sam, Sam, what shall we do? What shall we do? Keep our fingers crossed and play the rest of the caper by ear. So you promised that you wouldn't call the police until I gave you the nod. I went out to buzz the town. I figured it was an out-of-state mob, probably New York. The Gunzels were after the duck. Well, that made no sense. They thought I was the muscle for the juke joint. 
I hustled over to Jenny the Juke. If she didn't know the score, nobody would. Her place was dark. Finally, she opened up and led me into the rear. When I mentioned the duck, she shut down, tied up in a clam in December. It's blisters, Sam. Blisters, I tell you. This ain't only the local law. This is the feds. Go away, Sam. My joint ain't juking for the duration. Listen, Jenny, there's an out-of-state mob. They put the arm on my secretary's mother. She don't know the time of day. They pulled the wrong feather. I don't hear a word you say, Sam. They're mixed up in the juke joint, Griff. You, you know who they are. Where's the duck, Jenny? Sam, you're winging in the breeze, Now, Sam. give me a rundown, Jenny, or I'll tear your ears off. I want that old woman back safe. You can't muscle me, Sam. You know why? Because you'll tear my ears off, and that's where you'll stop. <laughs> that's where they begin. Okay, Jenny, okay. One thing. Can you get word to them? Well, maybe. Well, you try. Maybe. Tell them I've got the duck. I'll deal for the old woman. I'll try. Go back to your office. If I can throw a little weight, you'll get a call. If I can't, you can come back for my ears. And when I got back to the office, I had you on my hands. That was no rest cure. But I can't just sit here. Do something. We've got to sit and wait. Maybe they're killing her. Maybe... Oh, Sam, please, call the police. No, we got to sweat it out. I can't. I can't go on like this. Who sent you? Jenny the Duke. What's your name? I'm Dennis O'Rourke. I'm here to talk about stuff. Good enough. Come into my office. Effie, you wait out here. Wait here, I said. Sit down. Thank you kindly. I'm a lawyer, Mr. Spade. I'm here to represent my client. What's his name? John Doe. Mm Mm-hmm. Jane Doe's big brother, huh? My client has been led to believe that you are prepared to uh, produce the duck. Is that correct? More or less. What's it worth to your client? My client is willing to trade the old woman for the duck. <laughs> you go back and tell your client I'm a big boy now. But I uh, I don't understand, Mr. Spade. This town is loaded with old women. All I have to do is walk up and down Market Street, but there's only one duck. There must be a misunderstanding. Then let me put you straight. I've got the duck. Where? Oh, don't be cute. Your client wants the duck. Okay. For 50 G. $50,000, is it? Things are high all over. Yeah, but the old woman is uh, Mrs. Perrine. Aren't you interested? Now, listen, you can do whatever you like about the old woman. So you got an old woman. Get rid of her however you want. That's your source. What's important is that you want the duck. I want 50 grand. Do we play? Well, no, I... Wait. Effie. I thought we had an audience the other side of the door. What were you... Shut up. Save it, Effie. This is business. Easiest money of the season. Well, if you're ready to talk business, we'll go and talk to my client, Mr. Spade. Now. Then let's go. Hey, when I heard you say it, you did Oh, Sam! You've known me a long time, Effie. But maybe you don't know me. The United States Armed Forces Radio Service is presenting the weekly adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. The car that drove us down the peninsula was brand new. I could tell by the way the upholstery smelled and the careful way the driver handled it. O'Rourke, the lawyer, sat up front and I sat in the back, squeezed between two gunners. The gun muzzles stuck into my ribs told me all I needed to know about them. The rest of it I had to guess at. Time is hard to judge when you're blindfolded, but there's only one main road out of San Francisco by land. I know the towns and stops along it fairly well. 
About 20 miles out of the city, the car turned off the main highway onto a gravel road. Five minutes later, the blindfold came off. The fog was so thick, I still couldn't see much. The Ganos pushed me ahead of them into a shack that looked like a summer vacation cottage with a sign over the door that said, Buy the weed. A sallow, mean-looking little man with a heavily scarred face met us at the door. And his right arm, just above the wrist, was tattooed a small picture of a mallard duck. He glared at me and then at O'Rourke. How come? I told you, don't come back without her. Heaven be my witness, Duffy. I did my utmost. Huh? It seems, Duffy, that Mr. Spade is interested in money. What money? Did you tell him we got the old lady? I did, sir. I am afraid we've misjudged Mr. Spade. In short, Duffy, Mr. Spade is not in the least altruistic. What does he want? Uh, you had better tell him, Mr. Spade. Fifty thousand now, another fifty G's when I deliver the duck. A hundred G's is a lot of cash. You can afford it. Bugsy, bring in the old lady. Oh. Well, I'm still waiting to be staying in Mr. Morton. Sam! Well, it's high time. You know these men. This was a cute trick, Ducky, but it's going to cost you. The lady spoke to you, Spade. I told you it's going to cost you letting her see me here. And the longer she stands here staring at me, the more it's going to cost you. Sam, what is it? If I've done anything, you make you angry. Get her out of here! Mr. Morton said you were going to call on me, Sam. I, I don't understand. There, there, now, my Don't. Uh, come along now. Don't you worry about it. I want to go home. Well, of course. I really want to go home. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Spade. You've broken that old lady's heart. Stop drooling. What your talks on the I ain't any sweet old lady. I don't have to use words when I talk to you, Ducky. You won't do anything to me because I got something you need. Okay. A hundred G's paid the way you said. Price has gone up. Huh? Kidnapping's a federal rap. I'm not taking any part of it. She don't know she was snatched. We told her we are from the DA's office, keeping her on ice as a witness. You'll find out different. I don't plan on settling down here. Oh, that's fine, but I have to go on living in this town with that old hen alive and clucking. It won't be easy. You mean you want we should knock off that sweet old lady? You're a little slow, Ducky, but you'll get there. I've met some lousy low-down heels in my day, but you're the lousiest low... Go on. Go on. I can take more of it at these prices. We ain't doing your dirty laundry, see? And it's no dice. My price is a hundred grand. What if I say no? And I turn over the duck to the federal boys. In that case, I don't care whether the old lady stays alive or not, because I'll be playing their game. Either you're in or you're out. Take it over, Morton. When you decide, you know where to reach me. Yeah. We'll know where to reach you. <laughs> They drove me back to town blindfolded, and when they let me out of the car, all I could see, even without the blindfold, was the corner of Post and Carney. When a streetcar came along, I tossed the coin with it to get on it, I lie down on the tracks and let it run over me. Came up head, so I uh, tossed it again, and I got on instead. I fished in my pocket for a slug and came up with a folded slip of paper. It was the one Lola had handed me at Mrs. Perrine's birthday party when they were passing out the parts for that screwy charade scheme. I unfolded it and glanced at it. Then I read it over very carefully. The writing was hard to make out, but what I could read of it said, Help me. That man Marty has followed me here to kill me. If I get out of here alive, Maxie's arcade. I have a hundred dollars.
I got off at Columbus and walked up to the international settlement where Maxie's Arcade does business. It's what they used to call a penny arcade before inflation set in. I dropped a nickel in a fortune-telling machine. Worried? Perplexed? Know thyself and your problems will vanish. A card came out that said, You're of a naturally deceitful and secretive character. Disloyalty brings its own punishment. It's never too late to mend. I tore up the card, kicked the machine, and that's when I saw it. It was a narrow little booth muffled in drapes, and the sign over it said, Salty Hawkins, tattoo artist. The card under the curtain showed some typical tattoo designs, anchors, mermaids, fancy initials, but one had a hand-drawn picture pasted over it. It was a mallard duck, the same as the tattoo mark I'd noticed on Ducky Morden's wrist. I pulled the curtain aside and went in. Yes, sir, what can I do for you, mate? What do you know about the duck? All in your jib, mate. There's no freshwater birds here about. How about the new one you just put up in your cart outside? Oh, that one, eh? Now, whereabouts? On the arm? Two, three color jobs. On her leg. Whereabouts? Her left knee. Well, that's right, mate. It was on her knee. She have you remove it for her? Right, guess that time, mate. Know why? Look, mate. If I did, I wouldn't be telling strangers about her secret. All right, where is she? Take it easy, mate. I haven't got time to take it easy, mate. Talk. Sure, a bar tempered gent, you Come know. on, come on. I was going to tell you now. She says to me, she says, if a man comes All right, in, shut up. Where is she? Right in the back room, mate. Spade, open up. Hello, Lola. Finally worked out your charade. Come on in, quick. Were you followed here? I wouldn't have come if I had been. How much do you know? They want you 100000 bucks worth. You tell me why. You've seen Ducky Mordant? Yeah. Didn't he tell you? I want to hear it from you. Don't believe anything he says. Morning and I didn't even give me the time of day. He says he wants me back that way. He's a liar. How does he want you back? With rigid mortis, he wants me back. I'm taking an awful chance opening up to you like this. Let him catch me. They'd only kill me. Humane. You was to let the DA people get at me. Ducky's mob would lay for me then if it took them years. And... Oh, gee, you don't know, Sam. They... they torture girls. What that mob would do to me if I had to testify against okay, him. Okay, I take your word for that. Who are these DA people you're talking about? You never heard of Ducky Morton before? I heard his name. I thought he was knocked over when they had the big racket-busting show in New York years ago. Yeah, I guess a lot of people thought that. It wasn't healthy to mention Ducky's name. What was the racket? Juke joints. Giving Mickeys to servicemen, rolling them. That's why the feds are helping the DA's office. They arrested hundreds of girls and held them as material witnesses. Only they wanted me most of all. I'd worked the joints, you see, and then I was Ducky's girlfriend during the duration. I'd think you'd be only too happy to tell what you know about him in court. Oh, gee, I would if I did, but you don't know. The DA's office say they'll give a girl protection, but how can they? What are you doing in San Francisco? Running away. Had my ticket on a boat. I was going to Honolulu. They was watching the boats. So then I found this room out in Oakland. Mrs. Preen was real nice to me. I never thought they'd find me there. And then Marty showed up. Honestly, it was just a Mickey I put in his drink. Just like we used in the joints, I never knew it'd kill him. You're a brave kid, Lola. Now, look, Ducky offered me a hundred grand to deliver you. Would you take a chance on me fighting it out with him for half of that? For fifty grand? Brother, where are we meeting him? O'Rourke's car was parked outside my apartment building where I had a hunch it would be. The two gunners picked us up at the door, unloaded my hardware, and marched us up the stairs. Ducky opened the door of my listen, apartment Ducky. and waved us inside. Listen, honey, you gotta go keep a plant outside, you two. Ducky, listen to me. Uh, sit down. 
You too, Lola. Ducky, I swear I never said a word. I'd never talk, Ducky, even if they chopped my head off. We'll take up your suggestion later. I got a conference on with Mr. Spade here. You bring the money? Don't crowd me. There's that other matter. The old lady. How about the old lady? I keep my word, Spade. You delivered the duck. Okay. The way Jenny gave it out to O'Rourke was the old lady for the duck. But you ain't got no ethics. You see, you figured me wrong. I don't kill old ladies. You're gonna kill the duck. I ain't no old lady. No, you ain't. And you ain't gonna get any older. And neither are you, Spade. He wasn't kidding. He really meant to knock me over. And the gun he was gonna do it with got ready to speak its piece. I'd made my play too strong. The way this type of gunsel thinks is simple, and I'd guessed it right. If you pressure him, they go the other way by instinct. But what I hadn't figured was that this killer had a heart of lettuce. He was going to cut me down to protect your mother from me. How do you like that? I couldn't change my play now. The wheel was already spinning, and so was my head. I tried to brace myself and waited for the blast. This is Perrine. What are you doing here? I was just making some coffee for the boys. Oh, dear. I've broken your cups. That's okay, Mother. We'll take care of it. Bugsy, pick it up. Oh, thank you, Mr. Bugsy. I'm so glad you got my message, Sam. Didn't Effie come with you? Uh, yeah. I mean, no. I, oh, I, mean... I wanted to surprise you both together. I hope you don't mind my taking over the kitchen. It was so late and the boys were getting hungry, so I offered to make them coffee and hotcakes. Well, that was very nice of you. Uh, Mr. Mordent, put that pistol down for a moment and, and help me move this table out into the room. Huh? Oh, oh, sure, Mother. Thank you. Oh, we've had such a good time. I've never been up so late in my life. Mr. Bugsy and I played a game called Blackjack, and I won $50. Wait till Effie hears about that. Yeah, wait till she hears. I suppose Effie will come with Mr. Bundy. Bundy? Oh, yes. I remember that Effie said you and she are often down at his office at police headquarters late night. So I phoned there. Uh, and... Mother. Yes, Mr. Morton? Did you say you phoned police headquarters? Oh, yes. That's where Mr. Bundy works. Mother. What did you tell Mr. Bundy? Well, just that you and the boys were here and that we were about to have some coffee. And he said he'd just love to come up and join us. And I said, do. And he said he would. With some of his boys. <laughs> did I say something wrong? <laughs> no. No, Mom. Not at all. <laughs> all right, boys. Well, I believe that's Mr. Bundy now. <laughs> When the smoke cleared away, Ducky Mordant and his hoods were playing dead duck for keeps in my living room rug. And that rug just came back from the cleaners, too. Dundee and the boys from Homicide took Lola Brent away with him. After it was all cleaned up, I found your mother out in the kitchen. Where's Sam? I just made another pot of coffee. <laughs> oh, it's okay, Mom. It's okay. It's all over now. I know. I know. I... I've been holding this back. Oh, Sam, I've never been so frightened in all my life. How does Effie stand it? You played it good, Mom. You played it real good. Did I? Was I as brave as Effie? Braver. And not only that, you got more brains. 
This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. That wraps it up for tonight's show at 1001 Radio Grime Solvers. We really enjoy good reviews, so when you have a chance, say something nice about a selection of shows, or maybe suggest some to us. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.